Hey there, and welcome to another episode of IoT This Week. I'm your host, Craig Smith. It is April 14th, 2017. So it's been about 10 days since the last podcast because I want to try to get these on a regular schedule. So hopefully we'll start releasing these um, every Friday. So once we release those on Friday, then uh, the newsletter, which actually that's something else I'll mention later, um, we've added a newsletter um, and we'll release that on Monday. At least that's the plan anyway. All right, so for this week, uh, we have Mirai mines Bitcoin, IoT maker disconnects a customer, BrickerBot says no more IoT for you, and a spammer gets arrested, and much more on this episode of IoT This Week. All right, so first up today, um, I just wanted to mention Firmwalker. So I, I've started making some changes to that, and that's actually out on GitHub if you want to take a look at that. So it's just a, a, a shell script that I put together to do um, various things for... You can run it against a, a file system. If you pull a file system off an IoT device or whatever, you can run it against it. It'll find some interesting things on there. Um, so I've added some functionality for... Um, uh, when it finds like a .crt file, certificate file, um, it'll run that file against OpenSSL and determine what the uh, certificate serial number is. So the other piece I've added that um, just last night, and actually there's two videos on my YouTube channel um, kind of showing what I've added to uh, FirmWalker. Um, but the other piece I've added that, once you get the serial number through OpenSSL, um, then you can run that serial number through the Shodan command line interface and then Shonan will tell you how many devices are in its database that are running that same certificate. So it's pretty cool. So if you find a certificate, um, you get the serial number, run it through Shodan, and basically you'll get something that says, hey, there's 16 devices running the same certificate, or there's hundreds of thousands of devices running the same certificate. So anyway, um, obviously, um, all those devices, if you have 100,000 devices running the same certificate, that's bad. So anyway, have a look at that. Um, I'm continuing to add some uh, uh, various functionality and so forth um, to FirmWalker. And apparently Mirai can now, the Mirai botnet, um, which you've probably heard um, was uh, one of the it's malware that's uh, attacking IoT devices. Um, apparently it can now mine Bitcoin. Um, so there was an interesting story. Um, and it looks like IBM is actually the one that detected it and noticed what this uh, particular new version of Mirai was doing. Um, so they said the new version is able to conduct DDoS attacks, and like I said, um, it also mines Bitcoin. Um, the interesting thing about Bitcoin, um, you have to have some pretty serious processing power to actually generate any kind of significant amounts of Bitcoin at this point. Um, so you'd have to have a whole lot of, I mean, given that IoT devices don't have a lot of processing power, at least now anyway, You'd have to have a whole lot of um, IoT devices um, captured in a botnet to actually generate any kind of significant amount of Bitcoin. So um, the fact that they've actually started to do that, the new version, um, I guess that could tell you that maybe they've, that they're actually collecting enough bots that they can actually do this and make something off of it. So anyway, it was a really interesting story on uh, how IBM um, detected it and uh, noticed it. And then something I brought up, uh, or one of the topics in the podcast last time um i think it was last time or the time before that um uh, right to repair so if you buy a device um one of the examples is if you buy like a farmer's buying tractors um you know these big expensive uh, john deere tractors um and essentially they don't have any when it breaks they essentially have no right to repair it and they have to call 
a repair guy and there's not that many of them and it takes a long time and all that stuff and obviously if you're a farmer if your tractor's broken down and you're trying to harvest crops you can't have your tractor just sitting around idle so anyway so there's 11 states right now that are um, considering right to repair bills um, so Iowa, Missouri, and North Carolina um, have actually joined eight other states, um, and they've introduced legislation to allow people to, um, again, repair the devices they bought. So at this point, it looks like the bills um, will probably be defeated, at least this, at least in this go-around, um, in Minnesota and Nebraska. And actually, I think Nebraska was one of the th um, states where the John Deere owners were having issues getting them repaired. So that's kind of bad. Um, Tennessee deferred it to 2018. And then there are bills still pending in New York, Massachusetts, Illinois, Kansas, Wyoming, Iowa, Missouri, and like I mentioned, North Carolina. So it's pretty cool. These states, some of these states are actually taking the initiative to try to do this, um, whether they'll actually make it through and actually get um, put into law, who knows? Um, but at least there's some people that are trying to, uh, you know, give people a right to repair, you know, things they've actually spent money on, uh, which seems kind of obvious, but uh, apparently it's not. And next up, um, Connected IO. Um, they're a company, they've launched a miniature modem for IoT. So that's rather interesting. Um, if they can put some like really small modems in all, all these IoT devices, that would essentially negate the need to have these um, particular devices um, actually wired up to a network or in a, a Wi-Fi network or something. Um, so it's designed to take advantage of um, low, latency, low latency broadband cellular networks. Um, and apparently that's known as Cat1. Um, that's the first time I've heard of that. Um, I think it's the first time I've heard of that particular um, network name. But anyway, uh, like I said, it's called Cat1. Um, the cellular network's called Cat1. Um, so they said the motor devices are not much larger than a computer chip, and they're essentially designed to transfer small amounts of data on uh, narrow bandwidth. So apparently there's some similar devices. It's not the exact same device, but they're similar that are actually in, they're already in um, Coca-Cola machines right now, vending machines. So essentially the vending machine, when it gets low on stock, it basically communicates back to home base saying, hey, um, you know, you need to send a guy out here to... Um, refill me so yeah that's kind of cool and then on the uh kind of the ridiculous side of iot so apparently a iot maker bricked his own customer's garage door and he did this um the maker did this in intentionally so it was a company called garage it garage it um they remotely he were the company basically they remotely denied service to the back-end servers i think one of the one of the some of the articles say it bricked the device, but it's, they didn't really kill the device. They just disconnected him from the back end service. Um, so, and they did that. The owner of that uh, particular company, they the IoT company, they did that because the customer had given the um, device a bad review on Amazon. So, you know, you wouldn't think that would happen. It probably won't happen with some of the bigger device manufacturers, but this is a small, apparently, I think it might have been just one guy, you know, making these devices or whatever. So he got, kind of got irritated and just turned the guy off because of a bad review. Uh, I think in the end, the story was updated and said the guy ultimately, the owner, the maker ultimately, um, they restored the communications back to the IoT device and basically admitted that um, disabling the device was kind of a bad PR move. And it's like, yeah, duh. 
And then I've actually got another ridiculous um, IoT story uh, where apparently there's a high-end oven called the AGA, A-G-A. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's a high-end oven. I think it's from an article I get, I get that it's pretty expensive. So apparently for this one, you can actually send SMS messages because it's got a phone number apparently, but you can send SMS messages to control the oven if you want remotely. But what the makers didn't do, they actually didn't put any security in place around the SMS messaging. So anybody who gets that phone number can essentially control the oven remotely. So that's really bad. So, you know, you're you're not home, you're at work or whatever, and somebody just decides to turn your oven on and like burn all kinds of power or burn your house down or whatever. But uh, given that it's a high-end oven, you'd think that they would have been able to take time or at least ask somebody about security on on it uh, before they put it out on the market. But uh, yeah, apparently not, though. And then back to the subject of IoT malware. So it looks like there's been some new malware discovered by Palo Alto Networks, and they've named it Amnesia. And it's something that's infecting digital video recorders. So I, th and it's through a year old vulnerability. So I think it's, I think this has happened before. And I think what well, they said, this Amnesia is a variation of Tsunami. I think that might've been what in the past has affected digital video recorders before. But the new malware, it tries to determine if it's, so it's actually one of the things the, the new malware does. It actually tries to determine if it's actually running inside a virtual environment. And normally, if you've got um, something like that running in a virtual environment, it's probably running in a, it's probably a honeypot running. So it looks like Amnesia actually tries to determine if it's running in a honeypot. And then if it's like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm in a honeypot, then it basically tries to run RM-RF. And if you know what that is in Linux, um, that basically just starts removing files and file systems. So if it thinks it's in a honeypot, it'll actually run that command and try to um, wipe the file system in an attempt to erase any evidence of it actually being there. So, so the whole story had to be had to do with the fact that IoT malware is actually becoming destructive at this point. So in that same line, we can also talk about the BrickerBot um, that's been rendering IoT devices useless. So basically, the BrickerBot uh, malware was discovered by Radware. They identified it, and it accesses devices by brute force and username and password through Telnet. Um, so once it actually gets access to the device, um, it tries to use commands that are available through BusyBox. And if you've looked at any kind of IoT devices, you'll know that BusyBox is on a majority of the um, IoT devices out there. And basically what BusyBox does, it gives the device a limited number of um, commands that you normally see, like in Linux or Unix or whatever. It gives a limited number of, of command, those kind of commands to the IoT device to do you know, certain basic things um, with the file system and the device itself. So one of the things that BrickerBot's doing, it's writing random data. It'll basically try to write random data to the drives. Um, so once it does that, then basically the device will start up and you'll need to either reinstall the firmware or do a hard reset or something like that. So because of BrickerBot, there's been a new name coined, and that is PDOS, which is Permanent Denial of Service. So, so IoT uh, malware, yeah, it's becoming, um, not, as, not only is it becoming a nuisance, but now it's trying to mine Bitcoin, uh, it's becoming destructive. 
and um, yeah, it's just becoming bad in general because a lot of these devices they just simply don't have um, security involved or in place or anything like that. So yeah, pretty bad. And then another interesting story from the IoT side. So there's a startup that wants to build and. I forget what the name of the company was, but there's a startup that wants to build a nano satellite fleet for IoT. So think, basically, I think what the gist of this is, so when you have all these millions and millions of IoT devices, instead of trying to communicate through a Wi-Fi network or a 5G mobile network or something like that, um, they'll actually connect to satellites, which is actually kind of cool. Um, they're currently There's currently a scenario now where they're using nano satellites to... Um, use them for like earth observation and mapping. So, which is pretty interesting. Um, anyway, they hope the, this particular startup, they hope to have like a fleet of a hundred nano satellites, um, for helping IOT devices connect up and, uh, send their inf information along. So real quick back to the, the IOT malware, um, issue. So another interesting story here, um, McAfee says that, 2.5 million IoT devices are, are were infected with Mirai botnet in Q4 of 2016. So that's a lot, uh, especially given how many devices are out there. Um, that's a pretty big botnet. So the the statistics came out in the McAfee Labs threats McAfee Labs threats report April 2017, and the one of the things um, which is Really cool is that they noted that five, well, it's not really cool, but it's bad, but um, they noted that five IoT device IP addresses are infected by the Mirai botnet each minute. So that's five IP addresses infected every minute by the Mirai botnet. And like I said, I mean, the Mirai botnet's not only trying to uh, de do DDoS attacks, now they're trying to mine Bitcoin. So again, as the especially when it comes to trying to mine Bitcoin and make it worthwhile, um, the more bots they add to the botnet, uh, the more likely they are to actually generate some Bitcoin that's significant. And if they do that, then obviously that's just more, um, just gives them more reason to actually continue to try to infect more and more IOT machines. Okay, so on to InfoSec. So first up, Microsoft, they actually patched a Office Zero Day, and you probably heard about the Office Zero Day. So it was a vulnerability that was affecting the Windows object linking and embedded piece of it, which is OLE. Um, so that particular piece of Office, uh, it lets you embed or link to other product, other other Office documents um, within a document. So either way, um, looks like they patched this as part of Patch Tuesday this week. Um, so yeah, definitely if you're running, um, office, um, make sure you get that patch. And then, uh, next up, we've got a detailed write-up on the exploitation of Broadcom's Wi-Fi stack. So it was about a, it was a two piece, um, write-up. So it's lots of detail. Um, it's a pretty good, pretty good read. Um, like I said, um, again, lots of detail in there. Um, but it basically details a remote code execution exploit which will give someone control over Broadcom's um, Wi-Fi system on a chip. Um, again, uh, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, if you if you like a lot of detail on how exploitations work, um, definitely worth a look. And then and then next up, there's a story um, involving DNS, and basically it's the DNS record. There's a DNS record that'll um, 
hopefully it'll soon help prevent unauthorized SSL certificates. So in the next few months, um, public certificate authorities will be required to start honoring a DNS record that basically it allows um, domain owners to specify in their DNS records who is allowed to issue SSL certificates for their domains. So that'll be really cool. So like if you've got a domain, um, you have your certificate issue, issued by DigiCert or whoever, you'll basically be able to put a DNS record in that says, hey, anytime a new certificate is requested or you want to renew it or whatever, it can only go through um, DigiCert. So if somebody tries to basically make like a, like what's been happening with PayPal, where people are generating certs that have the word PayPal in them, in the certificates, even though it's not PayPal, they have that word in there so they can make people think that the particular site is actually belongs to PayPal. So once this is in place, then, you know, if PayPal uses whoever they use, um, VeriSign or whoever they use for the certificate um, authority, then basically at that point, um, any of the other certificate authorities shouldn't be able to generate certs. Um, that have certain keywords in them. So in the end, I think that'll be um, great for preventing um, domains from either being hijacked or, you know, making people think that a particular domain belongs to somebody who doesn't or something like that. But uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully this will, uh, it'll be a good thing. And apparently one of the most wanted spammers in the world got arrested this week or last week. So Peter Levishov, Apparently he was arrested in Barcelona um, while on vacation. So, yeah, I guess if the, I guess the story is if you're a criminal, you probably want to be careful when you go on vacation. So one just interesting side note. So I used to work at uh, one of the theme parks, one of the major theme parks in the world. Uh, you can probably guess what that is in the U.S. here. Um, but, but apparently the, you'd be amazed. Um, the FBI would do a lot of luring uh, criminals to this particular place, um, basically by they'd send them something like, Hey, you want a free vacation or whatever? And they would actually show up and get arrested. So yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, how many criminals could be lured by just simple, uh, Hey, you want a vacation and that sort of thing. So yeah, anyway, um, yeah, he was, uh, Peter was arrested in Barcelona while on vacation. So uh, we'll see how this story goes. And then apparently a TP-Link 3G Wi-Fi modem has a bit of an issue as well. So the model M5350, um, apparently it has a cross-site scripting vulnerability, which can be triggered by an SMS um, that it contains the attack script. So once you send this to the device, um, the device, the device basically goes, oh, hey, I got your message. Here's your, here's my admin username, my admin password, my SSID and my login password. Um, so yeah, if you've got this model of particular TP link, you might want to get, make sure the firmware is updated or, uh, simply stop using it. And, um, you guys have probably heard this story already. Again, some of these, since I've, the podcast is, um, there was a 10 day gap in between the podcast. Some of these things might be kind of old, but, uh, anyway, I thought I'd mention mentioned them here in the podcast. So apparently somebody hacked the emergency sirens in Dallas. Um, they set off 156 emergency sirens, sirens, and they apparently went off for about an hour and a half. <laughs> so apparently this has happened before, but they've only done like one or two sirens at a time, but apparently they did all 156. Um, again, if 
yeah, that's uh, it's pretty silly, but uh, it would have to be ex- seriously annoying if you had to listen to that for an hour and a half. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of kind of bad. And then there's a website that apparently has ransomware decryption tools available for free. Um, so the funny thing is the, the article basically said, oh, hey, you know, there's all these ransomware tools out here for free, so don't worry about ransomware. So, you know, if you get it, um, hey, you can come get one of these tools and all will be good. The only thing is there's no guarantee that these tools will work. Um, so really the big thing, the main thing here is make sure you don't do things that might get you infected with ransomware. Um, yeah, avoiding it's better than, um, you know, messing around and getting it on there than think there's some easy tool for decrypting it. Cause there's no guarantee. Like I said, there's no guarantee these tools will work. So it's better not to get it in the first place. And you've probably seen various stories in the news about some of the issues that are going on with SSL certificates these days. So one of the stories you've probably seen or heard is that um, Google's fighting with Symantec about um, basically they're saying that Symantec's certificate issuing process is broken. Um, so Google's basically going, hey, hey, you know, we're going to start like um, not recognizing Symantec certs in Chrome. Um, then the other thing we've got going on is Let's Encrypt, which is basically a free certificate issuing authority. Uh, apparently they've issued thousands. I think it's actually uh, 15,000 or something like that. They've issued like 15,000 certificates that have the word PayPal in there. So obviously the people that are getting these certs through Let's Encrypt. They're trying to um, make people probably visiting malicious sites think that it's associated with PayPal or it is PayPal. Um but anyway, there's a there was a good write-up, and the link to that write-up's in the show notes that gave a nice explanation about the different types of certs and what the differences are between those certs these days and then some of the issues. Um, so definitely uh, worth checking out. And then the next story, a while ago, um, Shadow Brokers, they released a big trove of NSA files. The When they first released them, they tried to put it up for auction, and they were auctioning it off for a certain amount of Bitcoin and all that sort of thing. Um, but apparently that didn't work out so well for them. So now they simply, and you can find this in, you know, a multitude of articles out on the internet. They basically released the password for this big trove of NSA files. So if you've somehow got your hands on these files, then now there's a password out there to actually decrypt them. Okay. So on to the technology side of the podcast. So in the on ever ongoing saga of, patent lawsuits um so apparently in the past apple has actually sued qualcomm over patents patent issues or whatever um so now qualcomm is counting suing apple over patent licenses so basically qualcomm's saying that apple's lawsuits are baseless and you know apple has not bothered to try and engage in good faith negotiations um, for licensing um, qualcomm's 3g and 4g patents and basically what Qualcomm is saying is that Apple could not have built the iPhone without utilizing Qualcomm technology. So, so this will be another interesting one to watch and see, you know, what the turnout is on this. Um, you know, my, I suspect that if Qualcomm was to win this, given how many iPhones have been sold um, with Qualcomm technology, if they were to win this, it'd be, you know, it'd be really bad for Apple. Probably good for Qualcomm, but bad for Apple. Uh, but in the end, all this really does is um, it creates an environment that's just bad for the consumer. All these 
all the patent lawsuits and so forth is just, in the end, like I said, it's just bad for the consumer. So we'll see how this one turns out. And then we have COBOL in the news again. So COBOL, the programming language. So this is something I mentioned in a past podcast um, where COBOL, basically there's still a lot of stuff that goes on using COBOL and the people who know how to program in COBOL is starting is dwindling because the COBOL programming language is so old. So parts of the federal government and the financial sector and this is something a long time ago, I actually worked for a um, banking software company, and that's what they used was COBOL. So COBOL is still used a lot in the uh, financial sector. So they're looking for COBOL experts. And again, like I said, the COBOL programming language is almost 60 years old at this point. So the number of people who actually still remember how to program in COBOL is uh, dwindling significantly. So... This might be similar to back in the Y2K era when COBOL experts and COBOL programmers when were in huge demands, in demand. Um, it looks like we might be in another situation where COBOL um, programmers can probably make a significant amount of money now because the um, federal government and financial sector are looking for these guys to um, keep their old COBOL code running. So here's something I didn't realize um, assuming this thing's a statement's accurate, but apparently it's estimated that $3 trillion in daily commerce, that's daily. It's not like monthly or yearly, $3 trillion in daily commerce flow through COBOL systems. Part of me can believe that because like I said, I've worked in banking software and I know they use COBOL a lot, um, but you would have thought since, you know, 2000 or whatever, a lot of these things might've started switching to something else, but apparently not. And if they're still on COBOL, then, Wow, that's a lot of money that's flowing through uh, um, systems that were designed with uh, program language that's almost 60 years old. So, uh, yeah, if you're a COBOL programmer, might be a good time for you now. And then the U.S. Naval Research Center's testing swarms of palm-sized drones. So the drones are named Cicada, which stands for Close-In Covert Autonomous Disposable Aircraft. Yeah, the government does like its uh, long titles and acronyms. So they have the, each of these drones, they have sensors for measuring uh, pressure, temperature, humidity, and they only weigh 65 grams, so that's really small. And what they're designed to, they're designed to be dropped from a, from a tube that's on a Navy P-3 Orion aircraft. And I think that's like, a, actually, it's a, yeah, it's a, probably a slow-moving prop aircraft. It'd have to be because the jet would probably be too fast to release these. Um, but once these things are released, um, obviously they're falling and they can take uh, measurements and so forth. Um, but apparently they can actually land within a five-meter square um, after they release. So that's pretty impressive. Um but anyway, yeah, if you suddenly see a bunch of drones falling out of the sky, um, this might be what they are. And then um, last week, I think it was, I mentioned that um, Tesla had actually passed forward in uh, valuation on the stock market. So basically that's market cap. Um, but then in this next story, even though that might be true that Tesla, at least in, on paper anyway, is actually worth more than um, Ford. Um, apparently, the article is stating that um, Detroit's actually beating Silicon Valley right now in the race to build self-driving cars. So, Navigant Research, they 
did some kind of study. They scored 18 companies who are engaged in self-driving technology. And apparently, according to their research, GM, um, General Motors, and Ford are currently leading um, in self-driving technology. And then um, Daimler and Renault, Nissan are close behind the cl- close behind GM and Ford. I guess when you think about it, it doesn't seem that far fetched. I mean, a lot of these other companies are they have much lot more, I mean, much more experience in, um, mass producing vehicles. So it doesn't seem too far fetched that some of these companies, I mean, once they, if they are up, if they can get up to the level, they probably, I mean, I'm sure they've been playing catch up with Tesla, but once they kind of catch up, then it's probably going to be pretty easy for them to pass Tesla, at least in once they get the technology that's, um, sufficiently reliable that they actually start mass producing vehicles quicker than Tesla. I mean, Tesla's getting better. Um, I think they're still behind and like keeping up with production at this point. Um, but they are getting better and uh, being able to mass produce vehicles. So they'll probably eventually at some point catch up to GM, GM and Ford. But uh, yeah, apparently right now GM and Ford are leading um, in self-driving cars. And then given how much the uh, FCC has been in the news lately. So apparently their next... Their next uh, goal in you know helping out the internet, they're apparently to roll back. They're apparently planning to roll back net neutrality rules. So basically, what they want to do is reclassify broadband providers so that they are no longer subject to FCC oversight, which will basically mean that they can do whatever they want to with their traffic. So you know, given some of the other FCC. Uh, policy changes. Basically, right now, ISPs have kind of got carte blanche to do whatever they want with the data that's traveling over their network. And some of that you can, I mean, it's their networks, so it's traveling over their data. So part of me is like, well, yeah, I can understand that. Um, but again, either way, they've still, they're basically going to be able to, you know, at least given what's going on in the news lately, they're apparently going to be able to sell your data, whatever they're able to collect. Um, and do whatever they want to it, even though some of the ISPs say they're not going to do that. And then they're also, um, if they're able to, if FCC is able to bl- roll back some of the net neutrality ro- roles, rules, they'll be able to um, shape network traffic as they see, see fit. And some of that you've already seen. So there's like, I think uh, some of the mobile carriers are actually, um, they're selling their own like video delivery services. And if you use their own their um, video delivery service, then that doesn't actually count towards your um, monthly clap, cap, monthly data cap on your mobile service. So we're already seeing some of that, um, and we'll it's more than likely we'll see more of that kind of thing on uh, carrier networks. And then um, finally, their Apple's actually upping the specs on its uh, iMac. I mean, not that I use an iMac, but the specs on the iMac have been um, updated to include 64, at least what the leaks stated, 64 gigs of memory, and they're going to have Thunderbolt 3. What I'm really interested in is hopefully the next generation or the next iteration of MacBook Pros, they'll actually up the memory limits on them to something other than 16 gig, hopefully 32 gig or even 64 gigs. So I think my, uh, Apple's finally getting the message that they need to kind of up the specs on their um, various devices like iMac and the MacBook Pros. Um, and apparently the um, Mac Pro um, that's kind of been neglected for a while, apparently that's going to be updated soon as well. So um, anyway, yeah, um, look for some uh, higher-end specs from uh, Apple 
um, devices soon. And then speaking of Apple, so JD Power did a tablet satisfaction survey recently, and the Microsoft Service is actually Surface is actually beating out the iPad in, um, I guess, customer satisfaction. So I had a Microsoft Surface Pro, I think it was the Pro 3 back a while ago, and I really liked the liked the, liked the device itself, the form factor and the specs on it and everything. I mean, the only thing is I don't like running Windows, um, so that's kind of a deal breaker there. But I still believe that um, even though Apple says they're never going to do it, I still believe Apple should do some kind of um, basically like a um, iPad a full computing iPad, maybe a MacBook Pro with a touchscreen on it or something, something similar anyway to the Microsoft Surface um, where you can use a pen on it. Um, I still believe Apple should do something like that because Microsoft Surface, it's a really popular product and they're selling well. So Microsoft's making quite a bit of money off, off of these devices and people, people like them. Um, and I've heard more than one person say that they really wish that um, Apple would do something similar. So I don't know, maybe this will... Uh, you know, like I said um, just a minute ago, Apple's up in the specs on their devices now. So, well, their computer devices, um, like their iMacs and so forth, they're opening the specs on that. So maybe they'll maybe they'll come around and actually make something similar to the uh, Microsoft Surface. Um, we can all hope. And then last up in tech, this is kind of a disgusting story. Um, but at least in the U.S., there's there's a long history of. ISPs, especially and well, especially telecom companies like AT and T and Comcast, where they basically pay to have laws written in written in that, um, well, it basically benefits them when it comes to deploying um, internet availability in um, communities and so forth. So apparently, Tennessee in this story, Tennessee has a it's a government owned company. It's called EPB. So they deployed fiber, I think it's in the Chattanooga area. So they deployed fiber. Um, man, I wish I was in this area, or I wish I had this um, in my area, this kind of um, internet speed. But imp- apparently they deployed fiber that gives customers 100 megabit, 1 gigabit, and even 10 gigabit connections um, to the internet. And it's government-owned, and actually a lot of times when you hear about government-owned, they're not really making any money, but apparently this one, they're profitable. Um, customers like them. They don't take any taxpayer money um, because they're profitable. They don't need to take any taxpayer money. Uh, but apparently um, some private telecom companies, and I think it was probably AT&T and Comcast, they got Tennessee to enact a bill, which is called Broadband Accessibility Act of 2017. And it basically gives um the telecom companies, it's given them $45 million of taxpayer money to build internet infrastructure to rural areas around Chattanooga. So instead of letting this already company that's been successful, successful EPB um, continue to expand their infrastructure, they the telecom company's got a law written in that basically just gives them money um, in, the, in the guise of... Um, building internet infrastructure. So in some of the stories, a lot of times um, in the past, when telecom companies are given taxpayer money, what in the end happens that really nothing's done with that money and they basically just take the money and uh, run with it. Or they do the minimal minimal effort to uh, roll out internet capacity. And in the end, um, customers really don't benefit at all from... um, 
these laws being put into place and, you know, trying to, and it's all, really all it is is um, private telecoms protecting their business and not really giving them, the, and it, not really giving them the customers anything in exchange for tax breaks and, and so forth that the government's given them. Um, but in the end, um, you know, once this gets rolled out by the telecoms, um, the service will literally be a thousand times slower than what EB, EPB could have provided. Um, so yeah, like I said, the whole story is just disgusting. Unfortunately, it's a story that gets repeated around the U.S. Um, almost on a on a weekly basis. It seems like sometimes you hear stories about um, telecom companies getting laws laws written in um, in their own interest. All right, so on to the random news. Um, so there's actually quite a few of these. Like I said, it's been a it's, it's been about ten days since the last podcast. So there's lots of lots of news that's gone on since then. So yeah, lots of items in this podcast this week. So Formula One racing will be in Bahrain. Actually, it's already happening in Bahrain this coming weekend or this weekend. So if you're into Formula One racing, um, should be a good weekend. Drone sales doubled in 2016. That's pretty interesting. Um, to see that uh, the drone drone uptake is on the rise. The FCC is doing something good for a change. So if you hadn't heard this one, actually they killed a plan to allow mobile phone calls on planes. All I know is um, plane travel, air travel, at least in the U.S., is it just sucks. No matter why, just yeah, it just completely sucks. So just adding somebody that was on the phone next to you in a seat. Um, yakking for you know two or three hours on a cell phone i just would have yeah i think that would have put a lot of people over the edge at that point so but anyway at least the fcc is um killing that um, idea and then a pew study finds that 70 percent of respondents believe government should be able to start their own high-speed networks so again this kind of goes back to what i was talking about in tennessee um where and a lot of these a lot of government um broadband deployments in communities in the u.s they've actually been rather successful and they don't charge as much as they do as um, private telecom do do like comcast and at&t and so forth um however um at least they however they still make money so obviously people aren't getting what they want from private telecoms and i mean the private telecoms have shown that they're not really interested in um investing in networks a lot of times unless there's competition and a lot of a lot of the problem is that there's no uh, broadband competition in uh, a lot of the u.s communities um, which is one of the reasons why some communities get fed up and they do, they have their own like uh, local government uh, deploy deploy um, internet infrastructure and along the same lines as the story i missed the couple stories i was mentioning about apple um they Apple dropped to at least according to this survey, Apple dropped to fifth place in laptop brand survey um, by a survey that was conducted by laptop laptop mag. Um, and then if you're a Nintendo fan, um, I actually bought one of the NES classics, or I actually have one of those, and it's actually a really cool um, nostalgic device. Um, but anyway, Nintendo's discontinuing this that this month. So if you want one of these devices, you better go find one quick because they are going to disappear if they haven't already. And then a prison prison inmates, apparently they stashed two hand-built computers in the ceiling of their cell and used them to commit more crimes um, using these computers they built by hand. Very interesting. And then last but not least, 
Burger King, you might have seen this one, Burger King creating an ad that basically intentionally activates the uh, Google Assistant. So basically they made a 15-second ad, and somewhere in the middle of the ad they said, okay, Google, you know, tell me about the Whopper or something like that, and it activates the Google, Google Assistant. So that's, uh, well, that's irritating to me on multiple fronts. One, because I just can't stand ads. And now these ads, you know, if you watch TV or maybe you go to a website that has some of the auto-playing videos, if you've got a Google Assistant or even an Amazon Amazon device, um, you could run into issues with these advertisements basically activating your device and doing things potentially that you don't want. The other problem is that now Google and Amazon are going to have to basically have to spend resources on making sure that their devices don't get activated by stuff like this. So it's kind of like, you know, spam, spam for your uh, digital assistance. Uh, yeah, kind of annoying. All right. So that is the podcast for this week. Um, like I mentioned, there's going to be a companion newsletter for each of these podcasts going forward. And my intention is to release the podcast on Friday and then I'll uh, send out a newsletter to everyone who has subscribed on Monday. So if you want to subscribe to the newsletter, maybe you don't have time to listen to podcasts, but you want to subscribe to the newsletter, um, you can go to craigsmith.net and there's a page on there for subscribing. It takes like five seconds. Um, and then you'll get a weekly um, newsletter that has updates on uh, all the things we talk about on the podcast, IoT, InfoSec, and Tech World. So if you want to get a hold of me, I can be reached at craigz 20 on Twitter, and, or you can email me at podcast at iotthisweek.com. All right, so that is the podcast for this week, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great day.